Hello, everybody, and welcome back for episode 39 of Lady in Black. I'm Danielle. And I'm McKenna. So I posted an Instagram poll the other day, and I let y'all vote on what we were going to cover this week. I gave you two options. I gave you the options of a demonic possession or an alien abduction. The results were actually super close, but demonic possession did win by like two votes. So this week we're going to be covering a documented exorcism. It's actually going to be two parts because it's super long. So next week we'll cover the second half. And then the week after that, we're going to do an alien abduction. Yeah, we got to make everybody happy. Yeah. And slash I was kind of hoping that alien abduction would win so we didn't have to talk about this. Yeah, me too. I really was hoping. Yeah, especially after the uh, rough week that you had. I had a rough one. Yeah, you did. (laughs) Another rough week. Yeah. Do you want to tell them about the uh, pigeon and the the shadow figure oh this was horrifying this was the probably the worst week of my life um i get home like at dark which is not unusual for me and there's like animals in the yard and whatnot when i come home but i came home on like i think it was tuesday or wednesday and there was a pigeon on the sidewalk and i had scared it when i walked by which again is normal but instead of like flying off into the rest of the yard and beyond into the darkness it flew into the doorway of my house that I was trying to get into and it smacked its head on the side of the house three times and then it like laid down in front of the door and I like backed up and I was like what is happening could not figure it out could not get in the door at this point and then it flew up again and smacked its head on the side of the house one more time and then like landed by a tree that's right by our house And it just sat there and stared at me. And I was like, I don't know if this thing is going to try and fly like into the entranceway of my house as I'm trying to get in. But like, I don't need that in my life right now. Nobody does. And so I like went up to the screen door and like clicked the screen door thinking that that was probably what was going to scare it. And then I whipped open the screen door and ran inside. And I was like, (laughs) I can't do this. It was terrifying. And then that night I went to bed and I have still been waking up at one o'clock and four o'clock in the morning every single day and I woke up and went to the bathroom and as I was was, as I was coming back to go into bed I like looked out the window that's by the bed and I swear to god I saw like a person staring at me through the window it was horrifying I hate that it was horrifying all I had was banging banging at night and then um I had the light flickering again and I actually got it on video but I don't know if I saved the video because I'm an idiot but I literally was so annoyed I was like mid cooking dinner and the light started flickering so I pulled out my phone like sent you a snapchat of it to be like I'm not fucking crazy this keeps happening and then I just like sent you like a brief video because I knew you were just going to be getting off work and I didn't need to bombard you with a bunch of flashing lights um, right before you were going to drive home And I literally like ended the video and then was like, stop it. And it just stopped. And I was like, okay. Okay. (laughs) That worked. Yeah. And then I think it was that night I woke up and like, it sounded, it sounded like there was like banging from one of the closets. And I was like, "Mm, I can see all my cats. Like we're good. And then the next day I was like walking around and I heard the like closet next to the front door kind of banging like one of the cats were trying to get into it so I like walked over to look at it there was no cat none of none of them were like inside either 
And right when I was like staring at it, the one in the living room started going. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? It felt like it was like fucking with me. And then it did that to you a few days, like a similar thing happened to you a few days later. And both times our dumbasses lit cleansing incense and forgot to crack a window open. So I think we just pissed it off. Yeah, I think so. And then last night I tried to kind of like meditate and like try to get myself back into like the space where I could potentially see what it is because that I used to be able to do that. I had like drank mugwort tea, had mugwort burning, had like all the tools and I like got myself into a nice meditative state in my bathtub and I felt like there was something like just out of my vision to this like to the right hand side of me like just out of reach there was like somebody there I turned my head to look to be like okay maybe if I like look and like focus in that area I'll be able to see it because I can feel it and then the second I turned my head there was this huge popping noise in the bathroom that just like jerked me straight out of my meditation so we're gonna have to cleanse again (laughs) yeah I I mean we should do it after we record this episode. We have to, because I feel she- like things are just gonna crank up again, which yeah. is gonna be horrible for me in my sleep schedule. <laughs> you know, it really kicked off when we did the Annabelle, the Annabelle and episode. Now, here we are talking about more demons. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I was like hoping in the vote. I was like, please, guys, pull through on this one for me and just do an alien abduction, and y'all let me down. <laughs> I know you even voted. I even voted. You voted, and for, I voted for, for aliens. aliens. I was like, come on, guys, please. And then, I mean, I get it. I totally get the audience that we have. But I was like, come on, y'all. Just help me out this one time. (laughs) No. No. They said demons again. (laughs) Really need to. uh, um, They're really just trying to get you to face your fears. (laughs) Well, the fears are scaring the shit out of me, quite literally. (laughs) Oh, my God. We're going to hate this because we're covering the exorcism of Roland Doe. And this exorcism was actually the inspiration for the movie The Exorcist. Have okay. you seen that? Yes. You have seen The Exorcist. Yeah. I think we watched it. Uh, mm-mm. No. I thought you made me watch it. No, ma'am. Because no? I have tried to watch it. I have never been able to get myself past this one scene where she is stabbing herself, screaming, fuck Jesus. And it just makes my skin crawl. Which is saying a lot because I have watched some really fucked up horror movies with smiles on my faces. Yeah, you have. Faces. Faces. Plural. You have, have plural. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I was like a little apprehensive covering this because I was like, I fucking hate that movie. So you've definitely never seen it because okay, I've yeah. never made you watch it. You would it. be the only person that would have ever made me watch it. So yeah, no. So similarly to what we discussed with Annabelle. The Hollywood version does not follow this case exactly. There's a lot of differences and the Hollywood version, once again, is kind of scarier than the truth. I mean, I feel like that typically happens. So yeah. Yeah. So we should be able to stomach this. So that being said, you ready to dive in? I guess so. All right. So Roland Doe is a fake name. Um, They did not release his name due to the fact that Roland was a child. Um, He was about 13 or 14 when this happened. 
Um, his name has since been released, but since he never came forward and said, hey, that was me, I'm not going to share it. Which somebody, I think is totally fair. Yeah. Somebody like went through and dug dug through some shit and was like, oh, I figured out who it is. But no, <laughs> just not going to do that. So we do know that he was born into a German Lutheran family. And during the 1940s, they lived in Cottage City, Maryland. He was an only child and he relied heavily on the adults in his life to be his playmates. And his absolute favorite playmate was his aunt. And I've heard her referred to as two different names, either Harriet or Tilly. I'm going to roll with Harriet because I did see it more. Um, so Aunt, Harry, Aunt Harriet was a spiritualist and she actually introduced Roland to a Ouija board when he was a child after he had expressed interest in using it. So side note, if you guys want to hear about the history of Ouija boards and our stance on them, you can tune into episode 22. Yeah, episode 22, <laughs> where we cover the history of Ouija boards and Zozo the demon. So until more recently, everything that we knew about this case was kind of like a trickle down of secondhand accounts. Um, according to Thomas B. Allen, who wrote Possessed, the True Story of an Exorcism, after Aunt Harriet passed away, the, the family began to experience some weird things. There were strange noises, furniture was moving on its own, and objects had started flying across rooms or levitating whenever Roland was around. Roland reported hearing scratching sounds from the floors and walls of his room. Water would begin dripping from pipes and walls, and his mattress would be moved as he would lay on his bed. So the family believed at first that it was simply Aunt Harriet haunting them. So they reached out to her spirit several times, asking her to kind of leave the family alone. This, however, just made everything worse. Um, Roland began claiming someone was walking in his room at night when he was sleeping. Scratch marks were found on his mattress, and eventually the scratch marks began appearing on his body. So the family had no idea what to do, so they called their Lutheran pastor, uh, Luther Miles Scholes, uh, to come help them. And he was very interested in parapsychology, so he decided to have Roland spend a night in his home so he could watch him. Scholes reported household objects moving and furniture was moving on its own, so he advised the parents to see a Catholic priest. So I'll note that before they even called their pastor, they did already contact doctors and psychiatrists to kind of help explain what was happening. So they wanted to rule out any mental illnesses or physical illnesses um, with Roland that could potentially be causing some of this. Yeah, so they did, like, their research and, like, kind of ruled out some other things yes. first. Yeah, and researchers did obtain one medical record from a psychiatrist um, about Roland that called him completely normal but a little high-strung. And classmates had often referred to him as a little bit of a troublemaker. And they said that he was really high energy. He had a hard time focusing. So not diagnosing him at all, but it kind of sounds like he probably had something similar to, like, ADHD um, but other than that, he's a just normal a normal kid. kid. He's yeah. a completely normal kid. So Father E. Albert Hughes was called to consult with Roland. Um, however, there's differing accounts on whether or not he actually met with the boy. Some reports say that he did attempt an exorcism on Roland, but Roland was able to break free from his restraints and stabbed Hughes with a bed spring, which ended the exorcism. But a more reputable source that we're going to talk about later says that it never happened. 
Interesting. Yeah. We're going to talk about that in part two. So really quickly, before we get more into this episode, we're going to talk about exorcisms as a whole, um, because it is very rare that the Catholic Church will approve an exorcism. According to the Vatican guidelines that were established in 1999, so after his, but they kind of followed the same general lack of rules for a while. The rules stated that um, a person who is allegedly possessed must meet with doctors and first rule out any medical, um, so like mental, physical illnesses. Gotcha. So they believe that demonic possession is incredibly rare. And they believe that there is typically a rational explanation for why the person is acting the way that they are acting. They also have a select few priests that are trained in the rite of exorcism. And in recent years, there actually have been a rise in requests, which has led to a rise in um, people being trained in the rite of exorcism. But a lot of exorcists believe that the rise is due to increased drug use and violence and Nowadays, the subject is typically monitored by trained priests and medical professionals, and they try to tag team it. Yeah, so there's both of them there at the same time. Yes. So for the signs of a demonic possession, um, number one is loss or lack of appetite. Number two is cutting, scratching, and biting of the skin. Um, Three is a cold feeling in the room where the person is held. Four is unnatural bodily postures and changes in the person's face and body. Um, Five makes me laugh, I'm not going to lie, because it is burping, belching, coughing, and yawning. (laughs) I mean, if that was the only one, all of us would be possessed. 100%, yeah. Mm -hmm. So number six is uh, moaning and or screaming. Uh, Seven is the possessed losing control of their normal personality and entering into a frenzy a rage and or attacking others um, or into a trance. So number eight is changes to the person's voice. Um, Nine is revolving of the eyes upward and downward to reveal the whites of the eyes. Ten is supernatural physical strength, not subject to the person's build or age. Eleven is speaking or understanding tongues the person cannot have learned before. So in pop culture, it's typically Latin. Um, so 12 is knowledge of past events the person cannot have known about, knowledge of distant or present events the person has not witnessed or has any knowledge about, and prediction of future events that become accurate. And these typically come through dreams. So, so it's a long list. Yeah, and there's still more. So 13 is levitation and the moving of objects. 14 is expelling of object things, um, certain animals. So throwing things up that they didn't eat. Um, 15 is an intense intense hatred or aversion and violent reaction towards all religious, oh my God, all religious objects or items. And 16 is um, basically avoiding to enter a church, speak Jesus' name, or hear scripture, or the complete inability to do those things. Yeah, so a pretty long list long that you kind list. of have to check off before they'll even consider doing mm-hmm. an exorcism. You would have to have, like, most of the list. Mm-hmm. Like, you could have a couple missing, and they're still going to look into it. But for the most part, they're, they're, they've are they got a checklist yeah. for people. 
Which, I mean, they have to, to some extent. Yeah, definitely. So there are also four stages of a demonic possession that are recognized by the Catholic Church. So number one is demonic infestation, which means that there is clearly a presence in a location or an object like Annabelle. Um, So with a demonic infestation, people will report footsteps, voices, apparitions, furniture, or other objects moving without human assistance, odors with no discernible um, source. And rather than affecting people, infestations typically only affect property, objects, or sometimes animals. Okay, so like pretty much everything around like people at that point. It's not like affecting people yet. So, like, people have noticed they're hearing things, they're seeing things, they're experiencing things, but those things are not happening to them. Yeah, personally. So, the next stage um, is demonic vexation or oppression. And this stage is when the demon is finally able to physically attack those around it. So, this is when the scratching, burning, throwing objects, um, something just beyond the feeling of demonic activity. So it's ramping up a little bit. Yeah. So it can also include sleep disturbances, including regular nightmares, um, frequent and severe illnesses. And while these things happen in the normal course of life, all of them happening at once or in a rapid succession could be a sign of demonic presence. Okay. So like, yeah, sometimes people get sick. Sometimes people have nightmares. Sometimes... You know, like people get scratches, wake up with bruises all the time, but like all of it at one time is kind of like "Mm." a little questionable. Yeah. So the next stage, which is typically the most common stage that is seen is demonic obsession. So this is the stage of mental attacks. So signs will often include um, the person falling into major depression or anxiety They start having severe financial or employment problems. Um, They'll start having relationship trouble. Essentially, it now actually attacks the person's mental health and well-being versus just kind of coming at their surroundings or their physical body. So just another level of getting at this person. It's going to come in in waves, essentially. And once it has successfully made its way through those first three stages you then can reach the stage of demonic possession. So the actual possession phase is when the demon has full control of a person, near full control. So in possession, a person is typically so physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually broken down by the other, like going through the process of the other three stages that the demonic spirits are able to seize occasional control over that person's actions. So telltale signs of full-blown possession include superhuman strength, speaking in a language the victim doesn't know, inordinate um, aversion to holy objects, knowledge of events or facts the victim could not possibly know, and according to Diocese of San Jose exorcist Gary Thomas, um, changes in facial features is very common at this point. The person doesn't really look like they used to look. Yeah. So it essentially is just like breaking them down in the first three phases and then it finally gets a crack and that's when it can go into the fourth. It's like chiseling away so that it can slip into that crack. That's intense. Yeah. And 
a little interesting thing is that Gary Thomas, um, his story was actually made famous in the book and the movie The Right, which I've seen and I have not made you watch. So maybe we'll watch that tonight. Uh, well, it better be it's after not as, we it's, cleanse the house. So. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll cleanse both ourselves and the house and then we will watch the movie and then we will do it again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me as long as we have a plan. Okay. So in the process of an exorcism, the person possessed may be restrained so they do not harm themselves or any person present. But some exorcists don't believe in restraints simply because they believe that there is no possible way to actually restrain a person who is possessed, which kind of takes it back to the whole like superhuman strength and supernatural abilities. Yeah, definitely two different sides of that coin, like wanting to protect them and other people. But are you really able to do that when you restrain them? Probably not. Yeah. (laughs) So... The exorcist will then pray and command the demon to retreat. Um, The Catholic priest recites certain prayers such as the Lord's Prayer, Hail Mary, and the Athanasian Creed. So exorcists use a cross and holy water and follow procedures listed in the Roman ritual um, of the exorcism revised by the Vatican in 1999. And uh, seasoned exorcists use the ritual Romanum as a starting point. Um, but they don't always follow that like prescribed formula exactly. So the Vatican offers a course in exorcism. And in 2019, for the first time, they actually opened their doors to members of other Christian denominations. The course is called Exorcism and Prayer of Liberation. And the Gale Encyclopedia of the Unusual and Unexplained describes that an exorcism was a confrontation and not simply a prayer. And once it has begun, it has to finish, no matter how long it takes. If the exorcist stops the right, then the demon will pursue him, which is why the uh, process being finished is essential. So after the exorcism has been finished, the person possessed feels a kind of release of guilt, and they typically report feeling like reborn and freed of sin. And not all exorcisms are successful the first time. They typically are not. Um, It usually takes days, weeks, sometimes months, and even years of constant prayer and exorcisms. That is insane. Yeah. Just imagining that process and how long that takes, and you can't stop it. Like, you got to keep going. That's intense. Mm -hmm. So popping back to Roland now. Days after the alleged failed exorcism, um, red scratches appeared on Roland. And one of them formed the word Lewis, which led his mother to think that the family needed to go to St. Louis, where she grew up and had other family in order to save her son. So a cousin of Roland was attending St. Louis University, which is a private Jesuit uh, research university, which is like a Roman Catholic school, and um, it had a campus in St. Louis, and it also has one in Madrid, Spain. And the college also has a very strong healthcare focus, which is kind of what you need in this situation. Yeah, I mean, that's like perfect. So the cousin got Roland's parents in touch with Reverend William uh, Bowder and Father Walter H. Halloran. And after the parents met with them, the two agreed to perform another exorcism on Roland, or the first. Um, And they 
decided to do it with help from several assistants. So they gathered at a residence on Roanoke Drive in early March of 1949, and the exorcist witnessed um, scratching on the boy's body and the mattress uh, violently shaking. So the same shit that was happening in Maryland. Two men also noticed a pattern. Um, During the day, Roland was calm and normal, but at night things would shift and he would display very different behavior he would start screaming and have these wild outbursts. So Reverend Bowder um, placed a crucifix under Roland's pillow one night, and the next morning they found all the furniture was flipped over and the crucifix had been moved to the edge of the bed. So it didn't like that. No, obviously not. So during the exorcism, it is said that Roland would vomit, urinate, um, spit at the priests, and speak in Latin. Um, He also took on a deep adult voice that was unlike his own. It is also said that Roland broke Father Halloran's nose at one point. Really? Yes. Wow. So they also noted that Roland would enter a trance-like state and make these guttural noises. They reported seeing objects flying in his presence and that he would react violently to any sacred object. So at one point during this um week a x appeared on roland's chest which father halloran believed to signify the number 10 they then believed he was possessed by 10 different demons so a pitchfork shaped red line began moving from roland's thigh and snaked down towards his ankle and apparently this happened every night for a month for a month mm-hmm. oh my gosh So his parents kind of finally hit their breaking point on March 20th. Um, Roland had urinated all over his bed and was shouting and cursing at the priests. So they decided to take him to Alexian Brothers Hospital in St. Louis for more serious treatment. So again, Catholic hospital. Finally, on April 18th, a miracle occurred. It was the Monday after Easter and Roland was uh, woken up by seizures. He began screaming at the priests that Satan would always be with him. The priests, in response, laid holy relics, crucifixes, medals, and rosaries all around him. Um, And at 10.45 p.m., they called on St. Michael to expel Satan from Roland's body. They shouted to Satan that St. Michael would battle him for Roland's soul, and after a seven-minute trance, Roland awoke and said, he's gone. He then recounted a great vision of how St. Michael had destroyed Satan on a battlefield, After this, no strange occurrences or behavior were reported, and Roland lived a normal life until his death. So William Bowdern died in 1983 after serving the Catholic Church for decades. Walter Halloran lived until 2005 after he died from cancer. Um, And he was the last surviving member of the main team that had performed the exorcism of Roland Doe. And following the St. Louis exorcism, the room at Alexian Brother uh, Brothers Hospital that Roland was kept in was boarded up and sealed. And the entire facility was torn down in 1978. The house where the family lived in Maryland is now an empty lot um, after it was abandoned in the 1960s. And there's this documentary that I discovered called The Exorcism of Roland Doe that dives into the story um as like pretty deeply which we're gonna do in the second part of this um so if you want to check them out um it came out in 2020 
Um, I did watch it even though I didn't really want to because I felt like it was going to be super dramatic and it really was. Really? (laughs) So dramatic. (laughs) It was like, it's like a stage down from if Zach Baggins did a documentary about this. Mm. Like it was still just really, like really overdramatized. But it led me down a rabbit hole where I found something. Oh boy, what did you find? So before I tell you what I found, I'm going to tell you a little story. Okay. So in 1978, the psych ward of Lexian Brothers Hospital was scheduled to be torn down. So they had the construction crew um, go through, clear the building, make sure there was nobody inside before they ripped it to the ground. So while they're inside, they find a locked room. They have to clear the room. They have to make sure nobody's in that room. So they decided to break down the door. And inside of this room, there is a desk. They decided to open the desk to ensure that there isn't anything inside that shouldn't get destroyed with um, the wrecking ball. And inside was a book. And this book details an exorcism. It was a copy of Father Bishop's diary detailing the exorcism of Roland Doe. No way. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's a good thing that they didn't destroy it. Uh Uh-huh. Because I found a copy of the diary. You did? Yes. Somebody put it online and I found it. (laughs) Of course you did. Why am I surprised? (laughs) I will link it in the show notes. um, So if you guys would like to go read it yourself, it is very long. So we're only going to get into like the very beginning of it and then we're going to leave it. Um, It's very detailed and it's very fascinating to me. Um, The original names or any like personal information um have been like x'd out um and roland was only referred to as r um so this diary kind of changes the whole story because beforehand it was always this like brief little like yep this kid was allegedly possessed they got an exorcism he's okay yeah and then he lived a normal life and that was it yep This is a full case study on everything that happened every single day that these men were involved. So it's like a a legitimate legitimate, time log of every single day. It is literally like an exorcism captain's log. That is insane. Yeah. How long is this thing? Oh my God. If, If we covered this in one episode, we'd be here for probably three hours. So we're going to kind of go into the initial phase. So clearing up some of that early history before they went to St. Louis. Okay. And then next week, we're going to cover their time in St. Louis with these priests. Okay. So the whole thing starts out with case study. Birth, 1935. Religion, evangelical Lutheran, baptized six months after birth by a Lutheran minister, Maternal grandmother, practicing Catholic until the age of 14 years. Paternal grandfather, um, baptized Catholic, but no practice. Um, Father, baptized Catholic, but no um, instruction or practice. Mother, baptized Lutheran. So for the background, um, I'm going to kind of, this whole diary, because of the, like the X's, and then there was a lot of faded out words that you couldn't read. So we're just going to kind of like, Piece it together. Piece it together. So, because, like, there's a lot of chunks that are kind of, like, illegible due to the age. 
Um, but it starts out stating like January 15th, 1949. At the home in Cottage City, Maryland, a dripping noise was heard by Roland and his grandmother in the grandmother's bedroom. The noise continued for a short time, and then the picture of Christ on the wall shook as if the wall behind it had been bumped. By the time his parents returned home, there was a very definite scratching sound under the floorboards near the grandmother's bed. From this night on, the scratching was heard every night um, at about 7 o'clock and would continue until midnight. The family believed that the scratching was caused by a rodent of some kind, so an exterminator was called in who placed chemicals under the floorboards. But the scratching sound continued and became more distinct when people stamped on the floor. The scratching continued for 10 days and then stopped. The family finally believed that the rodent had died, but the boy seemed to think he still heard the noise, but the family did not hear anything for a period of three days. When the sound became audible again, um, it was no longer in the upstairs bedroom, but it had moved downstairs to the boys' bedroom. So the scratching did stop, um, but it was replaced with the sound of squeaking shoes next to the bed, and it was heard at night only when the boy went to bed. So the squeaking sound continued for six nights, and on the sixth night, scratching was audible again. So the mother, grandmother, and boy, while lying on the bed... Um, heard something coming toward them uh, similar to the rhythm of marching feet and the beat of drums. The sound would travel the length of the mattress and then back down again and repeat this action until the mother asked, is this you, Aunt Harriet? The mother continued asking questions but had no verbal reply, so she asked, if you are Harriet, knock three times. There were waves of air striking the grandmother, mother, and the boy, and three distinct knocks were heard on the floor. So the mother asked again, if you're Harriet, tell me positively by knocking four times. Four distinct knocks were then heard. Then there followed claw scratchings on the mattress. When the mother and the grandmother paid no attention to the mattress scratching, the entire mattress would begin to shake. The action at times was very violent, and on one occasion, the cover of the bed was pulled from under um, the mattress and the edges stood up above the surface of the bed in a curled form as though they were held up with starch. When the bystanders touched the bedspread, the sides fell back into normal position and the scratching on the mattress had been continuous since the first night it was heard. So on Saturday, uh, February 26th of 1949, scratches began appearing on Roland's body and continued for the next four nights. The scratches on the fourth night looked like letters and were clear to the point that they looked like they'd been scratched onto his body with claws. And his mother began to wonder if she should take him to St. Louis, where she's from and still had family. And shortly after that, Louis was scratched into Roland's ribs in a deep red. So they then began to figure out when they should go. And Saturday was written clearly on Roland's hips um, in the same type of scratches. So his mom was then trying to determine how long they should stay. And three and a half weeks was written on his chest. So the printing always appeared without any motion um, 
of you know Roland's hands. The mother was keeping him under close supervision and never once once saw him do it to himself. And there seemed to be a sharp pain when the marks occurred, so he would double up and uttered a rather terrifying sound. I mean, I can only imagine if the yeah. scratches like that are appearing on your body, they're going to be painful. Yeah, it's not, it's not going to feel good. No. So the markings could not have been done by Roland for the added reason that on one occasion there was writing on his back. Which he probably couldn't have reached. Couldn't have reached it where it was. So even after they went to St. Louis, the writing continued. Um, and there was some question of whether they should send Roland to school while he was there. But a no appeared on his wrists and also a large N on both legs. And later on, no school was fully written on his body and his mother feared disobeying the order. So she kept him out of school. I mean, probably smart, to be completely honest. Yeah. So some other manifestations that were noticed were an orange and a pear flying across the entire room that Roland was sitting in. The kitchen table was upset without human involvement. Milk and food were thrown off the table and stove. The breadboard was thrown onto the floor. A coat on its hanger flew across the room. A comb flew through the air and extinguished a bunch of blessed candles that had been burning. And a Bible was thrown directly at Roland, but it did not hit him and instead just like immediately hit his feet, like hit next to his feet. Weird. So it like flew at him and then stopped and dropped right next to his feet. That's so weird. Yeah. So at one point when the family was visiting a friend in Boonesboro, Maryland, the rocker in which he was sitting in spun completely around through no effort on his part. And at one point when he was still in school, Roland's desk started be, um, to move around the floor Um, similar to how a planchette on a Ouija board would move. And after that, he didn't continue going to school because he was embarrassed. I mean, I can't blame him. If this stuff is following him to school, no wonder he wouldn't want to go back. Yeah. So as for witnesses, there were 14 that came forward and spoke to the priests about what they had seen. That's a good amount of people. It's a good amount of people being like, no, something's fucked up. (laughs) Something's going on. So the Lutheran ministers that saw Roland um, were called um, in to speak with them. And one of them mentioned, you know, that he'd invited Roland to stay in his home to watch him. And during the night, they had the clawing sounds. And the minister did tell them that he began praying, which caused the scratching to become more aggressive. And at one point, he had to tie Roland to a chair and the chair was like flipped over. So the psychiatrist that we mentioned also came forward and did report that he had done a checkup, determined that Roland was completely normal. He was just a little high strung. So before they had gone to St. Louis and started working with the priest, they did call in a spiritualist um, to try and rid him of spirits because they figured if it's Aunt Harriet, who is a spiritualist, maybe she'll listen to a spiritualist telling her to fuck off. Exactly. Um, Like this is a step that we can take that's not as extreme. Yep. Um, But it was entirely unsuccessful. Of course it was. Yep. Um, So they did call um, a Catholic priest of the St. James Parish in Mount Rainier, Maryland, named Father Hughes um, for his advice. And he had suggested 
blessed candles, holy water, and definite prayers. He never met him in person. The boy, um, the mom took the bottle of holy water home, sprinkled it in all of the rooms, and when she paced, placed the bottle on a shelf, the bottle actually flew across the room, but it did not break. And when she held the lighted candle alongside of Roland that night, the whole bed, mother and son, would move back and forth with the swaying of the mattress. And prayers typically just aggravated the phenomena. So Father Hughes was seeking permission from his bishop to do an exorcism. However, the family were already going to St. Louis, so he never performed never one. performed one so he was never stabbed with a bed spring that didn't happen okay because never yeah. he never even met roland he was just starting to kind of get involved when they fled to missouri yeah okay yep so apparently two of the aunts four uncles and four cousins also witnessed the movement of his mattress the scratching on his mattress and the bedroom furniture being moved around and four of them had been there when no school appeared on his body. So one night, it was March 9th, 1949, the violent moving of the mattress and the scratching on his body was observed by his mom, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin of college age, which would have been the cousin that went to these priests, um, a friend of the family, and it was also seen by Father Bishop. So a handful of people yes, that the, are all like... And the like, person that is writing this diary watched this. Yeah, and they were all like, yeah, this happened. Yes. So that is where we are going to leave it because this part kind of begins a daily report of everything that happened starting when Roland and his mom went to St. Louis. So we're getting into the, the good section next week. It's it's a lot. I wanted to fit it in one episode, but I, I don't feel good cutting any information because it's so detailed that I'm like, I'd rather just give the full account and do two parts. I mean, I hopefully everybody likes that plan. I guess we'll see next week. I mean, if they don't, they can just kind of deal with it. <laughs> Can't do anything about it. I work all week. Yeah, same. <laughs> So how do you feel about it, though? I mean, so far, there's a lot of, like, things happening that are getting spicy. Mm -hmm. We're getting there. Mm -hmm. But I don't, like, I don't think we're fully there. Not even close. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, like, kind of just the, the tip of the iceberg, it feels like. Yeah. I figured this would be a good time to split it. So we've kind of given, like, the brief overview of what we're talking about, we've given you the true story days leading up to, and then we can get into like the actual exorcism. Yeah, which I think is a good plan because I feel like the exorcism itself is going to be a lot for us to like work our way through. It is because get even getting through the notes, they're like half done for that part because it's hard to like sift through a journal that has a lot of missing pieces and try to like piece it together to in make a way that it make makes sense, sense. Yeah. to like make it make sense and still be what actually happened. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm excited to cover part two. I am too. I just like, I'm excited and I'm like, what in the heck is like this diary all going to have in it? It's so much. <laughs> yeah. 
there's a lot. There's a lot to the story that before the diary was like found and then released, we didn't know. Which we'll get into. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like he didn't just go from Maryland to St. Louis and then go like vibe out with these priests for a minute. No. And was fine. That's I mean, not what happened. even in the stuff that we talked about today, it's like a months long process even leading up to this. So I can only yeah. imagine what the actual exorcism itself is going to be like. Yeah. And it's it's not it didn't take them a ridiculously long amount of time. However, I'll just give you a little teaser. There was a point where they thought they were done and they absolutely were not. And they had to go back at it. And they had to go back at it. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of twists and turns. And like you you hear a lot about like from like pop culture about like demonic possessions and things like that. But to actually dive into the daily happenings of what this boy went through and what these priests and this family go through, it's so much, which is like part of the reason that I don't want to like release his real identity because like that's this is a lot this would have been so fucking traumatic for everybody involved a hundred percent and like i'm sure it's something that they would rather never relive in their entire lives yeah which is probably why he never came forward in his lifetime and i can't blame him for that at all no so yeah next week we will dive a little deeper into the exorcism of Roland Doe and really break it down day by day because I want to give this story the justice that it deserves <laughs> I mean yeah it's a big one it's so. a big one I mean they created an entire movie about it like people fled the movie theater while watching The Exorcist and like there's a lot of times that things get a little hairy in this story and you can see why it was used to turn it into a horror movie yeah so so yeah i will have um some photos of the priests posted on the instagram which is at lady in black podcast um if you have any listener stories if you have any um suggestions of like people places things you want us to cover you can email those to us at uh lady in black pod at gmail.com or you can send us a message on our website, which is ladyinblackpodcast.com. And this has been Lady in Black. <laughs>